Gentlemen, are you living your holy hour? With the help of God, yes. Always with his help. Stay faithful to it, and you'll be faithful priests. I can guarantee it. I can. I'd like to talk today about a particular virtue that I've dealt with in the past, but I think it's important to speak again about it, and that is the the virtue of naturalness. It's a very important virtue for seminarians and for priests. Indeed, naturalness is a kind of function, if you will, or an expression of virtues such as humility, simplicity, sincerity. The opposite would be when, and sometimes it's a little difficult to determine naturalness, but when someone says, that's a little unusual, annoying, or strange, that's the opposite of naturalness. Oh, what he said, the way he's dressed, what he just did, that's a little weird. That's the opposite of naturalness. Naturalness is actually a virtue that's hard to see by its very definition. That you do good and not many people notice it, even yourself. It's really essential to the life of virtue because virtue ought to be that habitual disposition to the good and that you do things with ease, without being noticed, without being at odd or strange. St. Jose Maria Escrivá says, to be effective you must be natural. What can one expect of a brush, even in the hands of a great painter, if it's wrapped in a silk cover. It can't do what it's meant to do. Looks nice, right? But it's not much of a brush. And Christ himself is our model for this. So think about your lives, certainly within um, the actions of our Lord that we read so often in the gospel. When he was born, he was born quietly in a little town. Not many people knew it, without fanfare, somewhat like any other child. When he begins his public ministry and goes home to Nazareth, what do they say? He came to his native place, St. Matthew tells us, and taught the people in their synagogue. They were astonished and said, Where did this man get such wisdom and mighty deeds? Is he not the carpenter's son? Now think about that question. These are his neighbors, and they don't even use his name. Maybe they're thinking, now what's his name again? Oh yeah, he's the carpenter's son, that that guy. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that guy. Thirty years he spent, the son of God, God become man. And they can't even remember his name. They just associate him with his father, earthly father. Isn't he the carpenter's son? Think of the ease with which he acted for those 30 years. How unnoticed he went. And yet how much good he did 
even before his public ministry. Then during his public ministry, we see in all four Gospels that he engages people in conversation. He uses parables that are familiar. He performs miracles, yes, but often not with much show. He puts people out and only takes a few with him. He takes the blind man aside. He even tells people at times not to say anything. We know throughout his lifetime, from the earliest of, of, of years, he and, and Mary and Joseph are fulfilling the regular pious Jewish laws without exception, like any other Jew. He speaks in an attractive and down-to-earth way, while at the same time revealing the kingdom of God. He acted and spoke in ways to attract a whole spectrum of people, from rich and poor, intelligent and uneducated, young and old. He was a man of naturalness. Naturalness as a virtue is a way of being and acting that seems at first hidden, yet attracts others for the ease with which someone speaks, acts, interacts. It's sort of like the beauty of nature. It can easily be bypassed until you stop and appreciate it. We see that beauty around us here at the Mount all the time. And I'm sure, like me, we sometimes disregard it, don't concentrate on it. It's just always there especially in the springtime, right? But once you focus on it, it's like, oh my goodness, look how beautiful creation is around the mount. That's kind of a naturalness, if you will, that ought to, that ought to be part of our human character. You can do this in very, very simple ways. And I know, and I've seen this among many of you, Someone needs a little help in Greek. I'll, I'll give you a hand. We'll get together after dinner, go through it. You welcome someone to your lunch table. Yeah, come on over. There's an extra space. Lending a pen to someone. Laughing at somebody's joke, even when it's not funny. That's all of John Amidon's jokes. Um, <laughs> Sorry, John, I don't mean it. I don't mean it. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But I mean, doing all of those things kind of in a very, an ease with which you do things, right? That's naturalness. That's naturalness. It is a form of humility in the way that we relate to others. And our Lord himself exhorts us not to think of ourselves and to think of ourselves to be superior to others. When the mother of James and John asked for superior positions for her sons, she and all of us get a lesson in being a servant of all, the son of man who came to give his life as a ransom for the many. That's you and me as Christians, as seminarians, as future priests. St. Paul exhorts us, do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility, Count others better than yourselves. Boy, that's a great examination of conscience question. Do I count others better than me? 
Now, Thomas Aquinas doesn't list naturalness among the virtues, but he does speak of the parts of the virtues in three senses, as integral, subjective, and potential. Thus, naturalness can be said to possess the essence of humility, but not necessarily include all of its manifestations. Naturalness can be best described, I think, as normality, simplicity, simplicity in action. We don't make a great show of things as though it's all about me. And I'll tell you, in a culture that seems to be marked by entitlement, a person may be tempted to think that I am always the exception. I deserve this. I should be noticed. Naturalist is the opposite. It's like the stone here in this building that's, that's the basement. You go downstairs and you see some of that stone. No one, all, no one really notices it from the outside, but it's essential for the whole structure of the building. It's a way of, yes, being normal, and to put it bluntly, not being weird, right? It leads one to act before others in conformity with one's condition as a seminarian, as a priest. We act normally just as others do, but always with a little bit of a supernatural outlook and great charity. For a priest, it means carrying himself and behaving in a way consonant with his vocation, consonant with his, his dignity as a priest, but not drawing attention to oneself. Not letting people know all your quirks and oddities but being able to go many times unnoticed except for your virtue. Now, this doesn't mean that we should always be doing what others do or to settle for the fads of the day in a very secularized and secular culture because, you know, as you well know, we're no longer living in Christendom, guys. It's over. Christendom is over. We're living in a very secular world. And our lives, of course, are going to look a little different than those around us. That's true for every Christian if they're truly living their baptismal vocation. But what we mean by it is, as a Christian, as a seminarian, as a priest, it's precisely the nationalist of living out that vocation without complexity, without uh, oddities, but with simplicity, exactly what the world needs to see and to hear. As priests, we live our faith and our priestly vocation in a very integral way, without ostentation, without showiness. If we are unnatural, people are going to ask, why is the priest acting that way? Why is he so kind of strange? It's a sign of our integrated virtuous life. Because naturalness is a way of bringing those virtues together and living them without notice, with that great ease, in that habitual way. It's certainly not something that's unusual, annoying, and strange. We've got to be careful not, and this happens sometimes in seminaries, and it happens also especially with priests who are by themselves, not to cultivate idiosyncratic kind of actions and words, not to appear odd or flamboyant, not to draw attention to ourselves. 
So how to live naturalness? How, how can you and I live that well? In one area is one area that we can do that is in the area of piety. You know, gestures and things that we do to live out our devotional life and prayer life can sometimes distort the church's kind of common wisdom and even her norms. You know, if, if you see someone that comes in and they genuflect and they don't get up for two minutes, okay, that's a little odd. Right? But it's, they're being holy. That's pious. No, that's unnatural. Right? You see some priests with rather strange Oran's positions, you know. <laughs> okay, that's strange. You've got to call it out what it is. It's distracting, too, to other people praying. It's not genuine piety because it relies on the action itself to give it value rather than the act of the will, which is driven by love. It puts too much stock in the gesture as the source of reverence, if you will, rather than the gesture expressing the reverence that comes from within. Sometimes, too, the seminarians especially, you might be attracted by some fringe devotions, some questionable apparitions, some unapproved books. No, we ought to be men of the church. Naturalness does not call attention to itself. Your behavior and mine should be easily imitated by many others that are truly Christian and living out the faith. It ought to express a deep love for the Lord in an authentic and beautiful way within the bounds of the church's devotional life and her liturgical norms. Naturalness looks at those liturgical norms not suspiciously, but as an opportunity to live in accord with the church's mind. In this way, the faithful see Christ and not you. So is it a little weird when a priest gets up and he starts making up prayers Right? Yes. And one way we know that is because it's not in accord with the liturgical norms. We ought to celebrate the Mass as the church wishes it to be celebrated. Right? So in our piety, our prayer life, we have to look, am I living that in a natural way? We also can live naturalness in what I would call orthodoxy. There's a a natural orthodoxy of the saving doctrine of Christ. It's not anything unusual, annoying, strange. It's something dynamic, something attractive. It's very, in the best sense of the word, evangelical. It's being faithful to the church's teaching without a chip on your shoulder. And sometimes we run into that, every once in a while we have that temptation, right? To take the truth and jam it down somebody's throat. I'll tell you, that doesn't work. And it's really annoying and strange and odd and can be harmful. It's willing not to push a point or win an argument when you know it's not just going to help the person who's listening. It avoids being overly judgmental about what other people say and do and being too harsh. Even though we are remained committed to the truth, But we have to, in our orthodoxy, also live naturalness. 
just as Christ did. Watch, listen, meditate on how he taught the truth, the way in which he taught it ought to be the way in which we teach as well, naturally. In our conversation with others, whether it's fellow seminarians, whether it's on your PFE, family members, friends, we want to avoid cattiness, duplicity, pessimism, and especially cynicism. Cynicism is a deep clerical disease. And sometimes, unfortunately, it starts in the seminary. I've seen that certainly in priests that I've known over the years. Not most, but some. It's unworthy of a Christian, a seminarian, and a priest. We're not cynics. And so in our conversation with others, we ought to maintain a joyfulness, an ease about what we're saying and doing. You know, if something very, you know, in particular, let's say a group, group of people are talking about the Super Bowl. Well, you don't come in and start talking about some middle-aged Latin document. Right? That's a little weird. That's a little strange. When some difficulty is under discussion and you just attack that person and attack, that's not only uncharitable, that's unnatural. Right? Naturalist means that someone, when someone asks a question, we don't try to just prove how much I know, but become a person willing to learn and ask questions. Naturalness also means not wearing your anxieties and my anxieties on our sleeve as we converse with other people. We tell everybody about my drama, the things that I'm worried about, those that are causing me anxiety. No. We want to help others. We're here to heal others. Naturalists can change the conversation when people start to gossip and become uncharitable in such a way that they don't even notice that they've been led to a more charitable conversation. Naturalists avoids publishing every single action and thought on social media, or at least most of your actions and thoughts, right? or your dinners, or things like that. No, that's looking for attention. That's a little strange. As a priest, we ought to be more humble, more simple. Another way in which we can live naturalness is actually in our attire, our clothing. Now here comes something. Are you ready for it? Brace yourselves. The clerical clothing of the 1940s is for the 1940s. Have I made myself clear? Right? There are different styles, even for different occasions. But when a seminarian or priest starts putting on clerical attire that marks him out as a particular kind of seminarian or priest, then you have to ask your question, is he doing it to be noticed? Is he trying to make a point about how orthodox he is? Or simply doesn't he know how to dress? This includes the type of collar, cassock, alb, hat, coat, shoes. Shouldn't be calling attention to ourselves or be from another era. The 
personal dress of a priest ought to be clean, neat, but unassuming, yet clearly an expression of who we are and our identity. It should have a true touch of poverty without being dirty or worn or ostentatious. You know, once there was a a man who came to Mother Teresa and he had a hole in his shoe. And he said, look, Mother, I'm trying to live poverty. And she said, you're just lazy. As priests, we should dress well, certainly clean, neat, yet without being ostentatious, strange, weird, right? Now, for certain aspects of clerical attire, there are certain times to wear it. A cassock is probably the most formal attire, and often liturgical clothing for a priest. This is my opinion, but I'm going to state it. Cassocks are not for driving in a car. They're not for visiting prisoners in their home. They're not for hospital visits. They're not for showing up at clergy events where no one, not even the bishop, is wearing a cassock. If you're not sure about what to wear, maybe ask when those occasions come, when priests get together, especially when the bishop's there. But I've seen all of that. And, of course, naturally you ask, why is he doing that? That's a little weird. The liturgical dress at the liturgy of a priest ought to give honor to God by its beauty and even its expense, I would say. That it's a very nice thing for God, but not for me. It should have a certain beauty, order, and simplicity to it, but it shouldn't be a distraction to prayer, as though everyone's going to be noticing the chasuble and not praying. Now, another little thing, personal, maybe pet peeve of mine. When you see all these concelebrating priests, and you notice that everybody has their stole, as the liturgical norms say it should be, going straight down. And you see a particular priest, unfortunately often a young one, having it crossed, you got to ask, what's going on there? That's strange. And it's not even in accord with the church's liturgical norm. So, liturgical lifestyle, uh, clothing, uh, and liturgical uh, dress, but also in our possessions that we have, too. We can live this naturalness. Everybody's taste in car, technology, books, furniture is going to be a little bit different. And tastes, indeed, are, are good to be a little bit different, right? But if that particular possession becomes so weird and... It's not something that, a good way to think of it, with a father of a family have something like this that's so maybe odd or antiquated? We ought to have hobbies, but to what extent are we having hobbies? I can remember a priest many years ago at the beginning of the use of computers. He had computers all over the rectory. He even bought an old school bus and had stuff in there, right? It's packed into this old school bus. And people would come to the rectory and they, they, they would trip over wires and 
that's a lot. That hobby is great, but it's gone too far. And when someone says, that's strange, we should think, what's going on? Do I need to change? Possessions should be useful for us in our ministry. It should not be a near occasion of sin for us or even for others to complain. Today, a priest should make sure that he tones down the number and kind of his possessions in order to proclaim a gospel of simplicity in a world of materialism. That kind of very naturalness, that living of simplicity and humility, I guarantee you, will attract others to Christ. And finally, in our actions, just our general action in the world, we need to be the stone, as I said, and in the foundation of a building, to do and to kind of disappear. Am I that priest who's going to be the essential, sturdy, and supporting without being ostentatious, without seeking to be noticed? Or am I the flamboyant, the erratic, the joyless? Others will very quickly notice my ugliness. Because naturalness is beautiful. It takes the form of service without being noticed or congratulated. It's beautiful. It's joyful. It's like a harmonious song that it's just so beautiful together. It's like that background music that enhances the atmosphere, but people don't necessarily notice it. It's really about imitating Christ, and we can also, I think, finally look to Our Lady and see the way in which she lived naturalness. You know, the message of the angel that she was going to become the mother of God, she didn't even tell Joseph. She didn't say a word to him. She immediately then goes and and doesn't party, doesn't say, look at me. She goes to help her cousin Elizabeth. She was for sure known among her neighbors as just Mary, the, the, the wife of Joseph, the mother of that son of the carpenter. Mary, our most holy mother, passes so unnoticed. We have very few words of hers in the scriptures. As just one more among women in her town. And I think we can learn from her some great naturalness. In living this virtue, we attract others to Christ. And it is a beautiful virtue for seminarian and future priests.